When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Punditry. It is me, your managing editor of Wrestling Inc., Nick Hausman, joined here this Thursday by a very special guest co-host, a man I absolutely love to talk pro wrestling with. You probably know him as a 20-plus year WWE referee. It is our good friend Jimmy Corderas. Jimmy, welcome back to the Winkley. Oh, awesome to be back. Thanks for having me back. Uh, looking forward to lots of interesting stuff just coming out. Yeah, well, we got a lot. This was a big news morning. Uh, we got some news to get to here. I was telling you before we got on the air, I was happy to find out earlier this morning. There's a good chance I'll be up in Toronto for SummerSlam this year, so maybe we can get some Tim Hortons coffee or or share a nice uh, – you're telling me there's some, some very nice Wayne Gretzky whiskey now up in, in Canada as well? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, maybe, maybe we'll – well, you have to do the Timmies at least once, but then uh, – there are other places as well. Okay. Uh, well, this is the place to be for your pro wrestling news today. Obviously, I've got Jimmy here riding side saddle with me, but we got two more interviews here uh, later on in the show after we go through the news. Uh, my first interview here for today, somebody I've really wanted to talk to for a while. Uh, I knew him from the independent scene. Uh, he popped up on 205 Live recently. He's Colby Carino. Uh, what an interesting guy uh, to hear him come up You know, in the business, the son of a, a legend. Uh, you know, like his dad, Steve Carino, now making his way out in the world with his own uh, stable on the independent scene, the Ugly Ducklings. I know you guys are going to like this one a lot. Also, right after Colby, our good friend Scott Fishman is back with his latest interview. He's talking to Ring of Honor commentator Ian Riccoboni. Of course, tomorrow night on pay-per-view on Honor Club will be Ring of Honor's best in the world. And Ian will be calling the action, but he's also been in action recently uh, helping to support uh, the LGBT community. It is, of course, Pride Month. Uh, Ian has a great campaign going on, and you're going to hear all about that here later on in the show. Very, very positive, fun interviews here today i know you guys are gonna like it a lot all right but let's get to it here jimmy news you can use news that leave a bruise and uh, this thing caught me right in the morning first thing out of bed sports illustrated reporting paul Heyman and eric bischoff have been named wwe tv executive directors Heyman is going to oversee raw bischoff will oversee smackdown bischoff will also be working directly with fox executives as they uh, as the blue brand plans to premiere on fox friday nights in october both men 
will still report directly to Vince McMahon. These are full-time roles, and there are no plans at this time to bring either onto TV. Jimmy, um, I, you know, for me, I feel like a little deja vu for you. Uh, how 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 much deja vu are you feeling right now with the uh, with this news that broke this morning? Tons of deja vu, but uh, I, you know, I'm uh, I'm I'm trying to process everything because it's still fresh. But at the same time, I'm thinking. It's a step in a positive direction, in my opinion, because obviously we all know the the creative genius of Paul Heyman and uh, and his work with ECW. And Paul Heyman's only downfall was he, he's he's great creatively. He was he was bad from a business perspective, right. <laughs> I guess is the is the the book on Paul Heyman. And uh, uh, with somebody else at the helm of, uh, of uh, taking care of talent in that direction, leaving Paul Heyman to just be involved with creative and, and the actual television product is great. Eric Bischoff, at times, I think, gets a bad rap from a lot of people. Uh, but you remember, he was the guy in charge when, when WCW beat WWE in the ratings for, what was it, 83 weeks? I guess that's how long it was. We get pounded over the head with that number. Sure. But, but yeah. So, so he does. It's not that he's not creative. I like the I like the decision of Eric Bischoff because he worked with Turner executives at a network, and I think he is very good from a business perspective to work with the executives at Fox. Okay, and and this is a little different than the last time around that they did something like this because before it was Heyman there was overseeing Raw or overseeing SmackDown at Bischoff there was overseeing Raw that was in the you know mid two thousands I think when they did the, that angle with that. Uh, but I, I don't know, was that, that didn't, I, I, at the time, they were acting general managers on screen, but I didn't think they were actually, you know, doing the day-to-day -day operations backstage. I don't know if you want to fill me in a bit on, on what their roles were like the last time they both kind of sat in these positions. Well, it, back then it was more, they had a little bit, they've had input into, into the programming, like, like, you know, offer suggestions, but they didn't have the, they were not really you know, in charge, so to speak there, it was more of an on air thing. Yeah. And they were just pretty much talent with, with creative input. Okay. Now this is completely opposite. This is, they're not going to be on air talents from my understanding. They're just going to be strictly, well, Paul maybe still because he's connected at the hip with Brock, Brock Lesnar. Sure. And, but uh, other than that, I'm, this isn't an on air thing for them at all. Yeah. And I wonder how long that lasts, you know, cause like, you know, it, Paul, yeah, Paul's been there for a few years now. He's worked in a creative capacity. He's been influential there. This this really didn't surprise me. Eric was completely out of left field for me here. He hasn't really been in that environment here for a while now. And, uh, you know, you're going to be talking about him, you know, the, the size of the, the writing team now that they have, a lot of young writers in there. Uh, and, again, these guys are still – it's not like I get the vibe they're going to be running the shows because they still re report directly to Vince McMahon. So part of me wonders how much of this press release is lip service to create – uh, some buzz, you know, since anything right now to generate interest would still be really good because I don't know how much uh, actual creative control Vince McMahon is realistically going to hand over to these guys. I still very much, at least from what I've heard this morning while asking around, get the impression that everything still starts and stops at the foot of Vince McMahon. Yeah, and and that's going to be uh, until Vince McMahon decides to step down, which I doubt he will ever do. Right. I mean, it, it, he will have the final say. I will say this. I think maybe... Uh, at this stage in his career, I think Vince is now possibly, and I got, you know, I'm, I'm hoping I'm, you know, <laughs> hoping that Vince will be more open to the suggestions of others. 
because you know sometimes Vince, you know, when he has a vision, it's it, that's the vision they're going with, and you can you can offer all the creative input you want, but Vince already has it in his mind that he wants to go in a certain direction, and that's it. Hopefully, this um, uh, Paul knows how to deal with Vince very well, so I think maybe you know he's he's on better footing. Uh, Eric, I think I, I I'm not sure. I, I can't speak to this, but I think uh, between the two of them, I think Paul has a better understanding of how to work with Vince, if yeah. that makes sense. Yeah, no, I, I think you're right. I, I, I completely agree. And I think that's interesting here that they there is a, a bit of a differentiation here in their skill sets, because like you mentioned, Eric is working in the capacity of, of a filter between WWE and Fox. Of course, obviously, he knows how to speak that executive language for, with his time at TNT. So maybe the responsibilities between these two will be a, a little bit different. But that's just me speculating from the outside what do you think about um the decision to double down on these guys that have had success from 20 years ago as opposed to finding uh new creative types like that to, to fill the role you know off the top of my head i think from the independent scenes i think of guys like brett lauderdale who runs gcw or, or michael blanton who runs uh black label pro here i mean there's some really creative big bigger independent minds out there it's intriguing to me that they would go back to these names they already know without you know, maybe trying some other names out. No, I, I totally understand that. And, and uh, you can even throw in Court Bauer there yep, uh, Court, yep, from L sure. MLW. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, there, there's a lot of creative minds out there that have tons of, uh, for lack of a better term, potential. Yeah. Uh, but then again, here we go with two guys that, that are, are well-known within the industry and have a great reputation for being creative and, and for putting on a product that actually delivers viewers. So um, when you're going to the networks, when you go to Fox and you go with someone like a, with the name of Eric Bischoff, he has a track record for them. Sure. You know what I mean? As opposed to coming with someone, maybe that's maybe that's the reason why they were selected too, because of their track record and, and easier to sell to the networks. Okay. Yeah. I, I, just, just trying to just trying to figure out what they're trying to uh, what their logic is. But yeah, there's. There's some brilliant minds out there. And who's who's to say in the future that maybe let's say Paul doesn't bring in a guy like uh like like some of the aforementioned that you just did. Yeah. Or and bring him under their wing and then groom them to be the next guy. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's just what I'm you know, we're trying to make new talent in the ring. Who what's what's the backstage talent we're making right now? I guess what I'm asking here. Um and so, and with with Eric too, I think it's interesting because like I wonder how long they it, now that it, the cat's out of the bag here that he's somehow in a backstage capacity. I wonder how long it is before he doesn't pop up on TV. You know, he's so much. He's always worked so much better. I feel like as a character. I mean, you know, you talk about how with Fox, it's like yeah, Eric brings the table. You know, the success. But I think there's also, of course, the stigma tied to the fact that it didn't really work out in the end, right? So, I mean, it's not like there are uh, two sides to that story. I, I wonder how long it is before Eric. You know, when they're finding things for him to do and what he's doing in this capacity, I, I wonder how long it takes before him they they put him on TV. I, I just feel like it's a natural conclusion. Um, I kind of feel that too. I mean, as much as they could say that, uh, oh, they're just going to be behind the scenes and we're not going to see them on television. They're such strong personalities and they're so good. Um, you know, their personas, especially their their authoritative personas, are so good. Uh, I, I'm assuming we will get to see them at some point, but hopefully they hold off for a little while at least. Maybe that's how we get uh, um, the change in the of the changing of the guard of the current authority figures like Shane and so forth uh, off TV for a little while at least. Yeah, um, and it was interesting. I had a, my my good buddy Joe Dombrowski on earlier this week, and we were talking about how 
WWE doesn't do wrestling during commercials anymore. Apparently, that was an edict that Vince had passed down. And he brought up how that was pretty common during the Attitude Era, that most segments would wrap up before the commercial break, and they were kind of done compartmentalized uh, like that. Um, do you think that, you know, since this is like a recent announcement here, I would guess that this isn't out of the blue. I would guess these guys have already kind of been in the back doing some things. Do you think that they've had a bit of influence in some of the, the creative changes like that that we've seen on WWE recently? Uh, it's quite possible, but, uh, again, Vince, Vince sometimes comes up with these ideas. Uh, you know, Joe, good call by Joe there because, you know, uh, my mind is fuzzy sometimes when it comes to the attitude, Eric, <laughs> but, uh, I, I didn't realize it as, that it was that prevalent back then where there was no action during commercial breaks because I'm so used to it now that, you know, we're, oh, you know, the, the baby face is in peril. Uh, let's see what happens. Will he be able to overcome? We'll see after this commercial break, right? When we yeah. come back or something like that. So again, I got programmed to think that way. And, and now that it's going, reverting back to that kind of deal, I don't know. It's, it's it, the way they're doing it though, is, is for me the problem because you can only come up with so many creative ways to say, oh, we're going to do two out of three full matches or elimination matches, or so on and so forth. The easiest way to do it for me is to have enhancement talent matches where if you want to get guys over, kind of like the old way, you know, have them squash a guy in two minutes and then go to commercial. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I mean, and yeah, because we saw, what, two two out of three falls matches on SmackDown this past week, and I think that's a little bit of a, a stretch, I think, for most fans even. Uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, what in general, I mean, what do you think of this call? I mean, like you said, you, you got a little fuzzy there. Do you remember what it was like before they would do uh, what they do now, which you're conditioned to, which is wrestle through the commercials? Do you have any memories, I guess, of that? Uh, not a whole lot. I actually remember uh, even because, well, this I guess this would be post attitude era because I remember I remember matches going through three segments. Sure. Yeah. You know, sort of stuff uh, on SmackDown, especially like a, I remember doing one with Eddie Eddie um, and Kurt Angle, which which like was almost the entire second half of the show, and I'm like, wow. You know, so thinking back to 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 this current edict, ah oh man, I, I see again two schools of thought on that. I, I I'm not a big fan of it. I like sometimes the anticipation of 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 you know leaving people with a hook to come back. I you know it. what I mean? Sometimes sometimes when you just go to a hard break like that with with you know with with out something to look forward to, people may not tend to come back so quickly. But uh, uh, again, my mind is fuzzy. I got to go back now. See now, Joe. Joe, thanks, Joe. I'm gonna have to go back and start watching more Attitude Era stuff. You know, Joe's a smart guy. You know, I just kind of sit back and pull the string and let Dombrowski go sometimes because he says stuff like that. Uh, you know, completely a little off the beaten path here. Um, as I'm refreshing your memories here of the Attitude Era, uh, <laughs> having lived through the rise and the fall of the Hardcore title, how do you feel about the 24/7 Championship? Wise investment. Or, uh, what do you, I mean, I don't know. How do you feel about this belt and how it's being used right now? Um, I'm being entertained by it because I love the fact that they're using social media platforms to to further the story with this title. And it's almost like this title was created for R-Truth because R-Truth is a funny guy. Yeah. Um, it, you know, it, it's funny because he's, he's actually quite talented in the ring, but it's almost like he's found his groove in, in comedy. And uh, I know a lot of people are not a big fan of, of comedy and wrestling, but in this case, I think it's working and it's perfect for him. Uh, we've seen the 
evolution of Drake Maverick through this as well, who I'm being thoroughly entertained by. So um, the only problem is, of course, you've got a ton of other quote-unquote mid-card talents who are kind of like background fillers for this uh, for this scene in the 24-7 title. So uh, I like the concept. I just don't like the fact that just it's going to be a lot of guys just thrown into it to give them something to do. Why do you think the hardcore title died out originally the last time around? Um, I think the hardcore title was more to do with uh, them getting away from uh, the terminology hardcore okay. and getting away from that style and trying to turn it more into a PG-friendly product. Okay. I think I, I think that was the reasoning for, for it because, let, let's face it, that title was entertaining too. Crash Holly was fantastic in that role as well. You know, the, 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 you know, trying to cash in in the ball crawl at Chuck E. Cheese or, you know, at a carnival and all that kind of stuff. The baggage claim at the airport, that stuff was fun. Yeah. But again, back then you only got to see it on television. Now you can see it on, uh, on Twitter and on all these different platforms. Yeah. Uh, all right. Just want to pick your brain a bit here. Uh, we'll get back to the news of the day. Uh, uh, this kind of interesting here. We talk about the different creative names out there. Uh, one we didn't bring up is Gabe Sapolsky here, obviously evolve has had a long relationship here with WWE and uh, interesting announcement uh, coming out from WWE yesterday. Uh, they plan on streaming or they will be streaming via the WWE network evolves 10th anniversary celebration. Uh, it will air as evolve the evolve 131 event on Saturday, July 13th uh, from the former ECW arena, the 2300 arena in Philadelphia, PA. The show will feature two former evolve talents doing battle in the main event. Uh, NXT champion Adam Cole versus Akira Tozawa with the title on the line. Matt Riddle will also take on Cruiserweight champion Drew Gulak in a non-title match. Uh, before we get to, to some of these other details coming out of that, um, wh what do you think of the decision here from WWE to incorporate these live independent shows now onto their platform? Um, I think it's very interesting that it shows that they're very open to working with other promotions, depending on who, obviously, people they have a working relationship with, which yeah. they seem to with Evolve. And and hopefully that could expand. And uh, I think it's a nice next step for the network because, you know, you can only fill so much, you know, WWE 24 and, uh, and Chronicle and all that kind of stuff because there is a lot of repeat programming. So uh, some new, fresh programming and also a good platform to get some young talent, some exposure and maybe a, a future contract with with a company where they could actually make some big money. Yeah, you know, I wonder if this is a I mean, it's obviously going to be some kind of an experiment here. It's the first time they've done anything like this, but I could very easily see WWE going to some of these bigger indie companies and saying, "Yeah, we'd love to put your show on the network, but we have conditions." And what are those conditions, Jimmy, right? Like it could be anything. It could be, you know, you when we ask you things, we need you to do this. We'd like you to tell us when your talents are talking to other companies so we can get a heads up on that. I mean, this could I mean, this could in some ways I think build show a, a sign of good faith, give WWE that bridge, but at the same time maybe give WWE what they want, which is a little bit more control and independence, which is something they always seem to be striving for, you know? No, I absolutely see that point and and from a business standpoint, it's a great move. I think it's a great move. I mean, like others will look at it as, oh, my goodness, Big Brother is watching. They're trying to take over everything. It's, you know, and stuff like that. But from a business standpoint, it makes absolute sense. Yeah, it does. I, I, I don't, you know, I, obviously I'm, I'm looking at it with my business hat as opposed to my fan hat because 
sometimes when uh, when one company is in control of too much, uh, you know, we don't get as much variety. Let's put it that way. I gotcha. Um, well, it's interesting here because uh, WWE has already announced their next UK TakeOver event is going to be on the same day, not head-to-head with All Out here uh, later in the summer. But this Evolve show, this 10th anniversary show, does seemingly, it, it just happens to go head-to-head with AEW's, uh, not next show, but the show after, the Fight for Fight for the Fallen, July 13th in Jacksonville. This is a charity show. Um, and this decision yesterday led to one of the executive vice presidents of AEW, uh, Kenny Omega, tweeting out the following, which was uh, deleted shortly after. And he said, if lining your pockets with blood money is okay, then what's wrong with trying to undermine a charity show for victims of gun violence? I hear that healthy competition is supposed to be a good thing, and yet I can't help but feel like I'm going to be sick. Like I said, he deleted that and then replaced it with another tweet that said, I've said my piece and it opened the door to a very toxic environment. It wasn't a message to fans or the boys, just the decision makers. I wish everyone wrestling on any show that day all the best. That is all. Big words here from Omega, and I really think this was a maybe the closest look through the glass we might have gotten here from this uh, internal executive team is what is motivating them right now? I mean, it seems like not just on like a creative level, I still think there's like an ethical level here that the AEW guys uh, very much want to change in the world of professional wrestling and not happy with the kind of stuff that Vince does here with, with Saudi Arabia. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know, understand why people are surprised by this. First, uh, I, I need some clarification here. Is this charity show, uh, is it a pay-per-view? I'm not sure. I, I, I'm, is it, or is it going to be broadcast on for free in the United States? I don't know. It hasn't been announced yet. It, it will be on BNR Live. All their shows are going to be on BNR Live. Um, I don't know if it'll be – I would guess it's going to be free again. I think they're only going to do the paid for the big four, like All Out. Of course, the uh, Fighter Fest is – this Saturday, and that'll be free to stream on BNR Live. And uh, all the profits uh, from the show, I think, are going to this this uh, gun charity uh, or this gun violence uh, charity um, that they're raising yeah. money for. Uh, obvi- obviously, uh, and not defending the WWE here, obviously the optics are very horrible. It doesn't look good uh, from an, uh, from two sides. A, because it seems to be uh, undermining a charity show, and by doing this, they are in some way acknowledging that AEW may be competition to them before they're before they even have their television show on the air. So uh, it it may be the first shot fired, so to speak, but uh, again, uh, not defending them, but how can you be surprised that uh, if I'm not mistaken, the first survivor series was also counter programming to, um, to uh, the Crockett. Oh my goodness. See, there goes my, my brain again. Uh, it, no. it was done to counter-program something that Crockett was doing on, on Thanksgiving Day. Um, I want to say it was a clash, but I could be wrong about that. Yeah, so, uh, and it, it's it's an unfortunate part of the, again, looking at business, at the business world. Uh, you know, you can, people could label it blood money or they could label it any way they want, but it's, again, it's unfortunately wrestling for... I don't know how many hundreds of years or how long it's been around has been a cutthroat business and it would be nice in a perfect world for everybody to work together. But unfortunately it's not going to be that way. So we have to expect uh, stuff like this. That's going to make us, uh, you know, feel not so good. Yeah. Well, that's the thing is AEW, right? They're starting to start to pull on different strings here. It's not just creative. It's also, you know, ethically, you know, where do you draw the line? Who's, 
you know, pro wrestling fans are getting older. I, I definitely think there's a there's more there's more to this year. So anyway, uh, AEW for what it's worth. Also, the last 24 hours announced Chris Jericho for their fight for the Fallen show. So uh, that'll be a, a definite boost for them. And I can see fight for the Fallen doing very well. Pro shows will probably do very well. Um, do you speak of a cutthroat business here, Jimmy? Pro wrestling mm-hmm. or PWInsider.com reporting that CM Punk has filed a countersuit against his former friend Colt Cabana. Filed it on June 18th. He's seeking $600,000 for general damages as well as interest and legal fees in response to an amended lawsuit that Cabana filed in August of 2018. Cabana had sued Punk last August for breach of contract and fraud over legal fees related to the lawsuit they had against Dr. Aman uh, from WWE, which Aman lost. Cabana claimed that Punk promised to cover his legal bills. However, Punk's legal team dropped him as a client. Cabana got his own representation after the falling out, and Cabana is seeking $200,000 for his personal legal costs and additional damages. Bottom line, what a mess. Two fr- this friendship is is donezo, and these guys were very tight at one point. Yeah, they were. I, um, it, it, see, again, it's an unfortunate casualty of this business where, uh, like, like I said earlier, it's a cutthroat business, and as much as you'd like to to keep your friends close, you got to keep your enemies closer. I hate using cliches like that, but it's the absolute truth. And um, I'm hoping, uh, again, going back to the the new and fledgling company of AEW, because all those guys are close. You know, the Bucks are close with Kenny and Kenny and uh, uh, Cody and all that. I hope business doesn't get in the way of their friendship. But uh, boy, I'm I'm kind of nervous about that. That is very interesting. And, and, yeah, that's very interesting. Yeah, I'm. Getting back to Colt and Punk, I mean, uh, you 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 also know those two guys, right, Nick? Yeah. And and they were really close. To, and to see this happen, it's it's truly disheartening. Yeah, you know, I, yeah, again, it's like I used to do comedy here in Chicago with Cabana. Punk would come to our shows. Cabana took me to Punk's house. Like I've seen these guys all be friendly before. I was very caught off guard when I heard about their falling out because I, I you know, Punk is notoriously pretty cold and and doesn't have many people close to him. But Cabana was, you know. They were bike friends. They were bike buddies. They would bike through Wicker Park together. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, you know, I, I remember sitting in that courtroom. Um, it was weird because on the last day right after the verdict came out, like, Punk and Cabana didn't really exchange anything. AJ gave Cabana a hug. I'll never forget that. And then I asked Punk's lawyers if um, Amon, uh, since he lost, was going to have to pay the legal fees for Punk and Cabana – and they said, that's not how this works. And I go, oh, well, then, you know, is Punk paying for this? And they were like, we can't comment on it. And, I, and it was really weird because I, I, I'm probably misquoting that a little bit there. But I pressed them several times about, like, who was going to be paying for the legal fees. And they wouldn't give me a straight answer. And the more of this that comes out, I think even in that moment, like, instantly, as soon as the trial was over, I think they knew there was more to, to come here between these two. Um, it did seem like something they were very sensitive about talking about. So. Yeah, that, that sounds like it just just from your description right there it was like okay the wheels were already in motion yeah these guys were not going to be walking out of this uh tag team partners no no way uh um, uh the observer reporting here so we got some more numbers uh this week uh stomping grounds reportedly did an estimated 9800 pay-per-view buys in the united states that would be a record low, low number of buys for a wwe pay-per-view in this area era previous low was 11,000 for the super showdown from Saudi Arabia. SmackDown also featured a very light crowd with a, a, a bunch of sections tarped off this past Tuesday night. Um, you know, Jimmy, these are not great numbers here. Obviously, people don't buy pay-per-view as much as they did because of the WWE Network. Is this all much ado about nothing? 
Um, obviously, I think it's a cause for concern. Uh, I don't think it's quite pushed the panic button just yet because, as you know, Nick, the, the, the industry goes in cycles. You have up and ups and downs. And for the WWE right now, this seems to be a down cycle for them. And as we found out today with the news of Heyman and, and, and Bischoff, they are at least looking at ways of improving things. Right. So, you know, uh, again, I'm, I'm, I'm very much one of these wait and see kind of people. Like I said, obviously the numbers are not promising, but at the same time, while these numbers are not promising, uh, you know, the TV deals are still ridiculously, you know, high. Right. Still. Right. Despite, you know, I mean, they made this deal. Everybody says, well, they made this deal when the rate, no, they made this deal when the ratings were on the decline. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So yes, they've declined a little more, but they made these deals with the ratings, not where they would like them to be. So, oh man, it's it, the, the TV industry is really weird sometimes when it comes to that kind of stuff. But uh, obviously I think I would have to have faith that Fox knows what they're doing and I'm have to have faith that these guys are going to turn things around and hopefully, um, you know, that the fans just stop, stop with, uh, putting, stop trying to be Siskel and Ebert since you're there in Chicago, stop trying to be Siskel and Ebert and just be, you know, enjoy it for what it is. There's different presentations of professional wrestling. I'm going off on a tangent here in case you haven't noticed. That's fine. There's different yeah, there's different presentations of professional wrestling out there, whether you want to call it professional wrestling, sports entertainment. You know, you there's there's stuff out there for the purists, so to speak. There's stuff out there for the people who like more of a, a um, you know, a, a, a sports entertainment pr- uh, presentation. And then for me, like people are screaming for, oh, we want wrestling in WWE, and you got it in NXT, but you know what I mean? So for me, NXT right now is the perfect blend of, of traditional pro wrestling or the, or what is currently hot in pro wrestling meets sports entertainment. I think it's the perfect blend right now. Yeah. yeah and I, hopefully, yeah, yeah. And so hopefully AEW will capitalize on that kind of presentation, at least for me anyways. You know, what's interesting, Jimmy is like, I had, it just kind of hit me like an apple on the head, but like, you know, we talked about Paul and Eric, you know, moving into these positions here and it's like, they're doubling down. Where are those new minds? I mean, it seems like it's staring us right in the face. Like why, why didn't fans get the, the, press release i think they wanted which is a hunter triple h is taking over as the executive director for creative for ron smackdown i feel like that would have elicited a much stronger reaction from everybody with a lot less speculation around it that that's a very interesting thing but i think that's coming down the pike and who knows i think again this is me just speculating i don't know i'm i'm thinking that from from a public perception i think them placing paul and eric in those positions uh, does it make it look like, because regardless of how, how well Hunter has been doing with the NXT brand and, and where he wants to take the business forward when he eventually takes over the reins, because uh, let's face it, he will at some point, the, it, it doesn't scream nepotism. And, and a lot of people, regardless of the fact of how, how well Paul has been performing in his job, will still view it as, oh, he's using his son-in-law to take over. You know, it's, I guess. It's it's an unfortunate thing. This way, it looks like he's he's looking outside the family at successful guys who have been successful, and and moving from there. But I'm sure Paul will, or Triple H will have a lot of input too. Yeah. Uh, well, here's a here's a good story, positive story I thought from the world of pro wrestling. Uh, of course, a couple weeks ago there was that weird uh, Ring of Honor fan incident involving Bully Ray. Um, do you know the story I'm talking about, Jimmy? 
Yes. <laughs> okay, wonderful. So this fan took to Twitter. He said, this was one of, if not the craziest outcomes of my infamous backstage incident was a DM from Kevin Owens. Kevin reached out to share his disappointment and frustration about what happened to me and to apologize for the incident, incident that he wasn't even a part of. Uh, fast forward to tonight, and lo and behold, there were some pretty good tickets set aside for me, uh, not only for me, but my friends as well at SmackDown, as Kevin invited me and my friends there to, to make good for it. He had fun that night. It was a, a, then I have, a, a, he had more fun that night than he had in a very long time. I'm humbled and grateful by the generosity of an absolute stranger. Never stop being there for each other. Never stop taking the high road. Never stop being the better man. Thank you, Kevin Owens. I love this story. Um, but back to that bully incident here. Jimmy, have you ever heard of anything? In your years in pro wrestling, like a wrestler taking a fan into a private room and dressing them down for something they said from the audience? Um, I don't recall it, but I wouldn't doubt if it ever happened before. It's just the fact that now we live in an era with social media where somebody will put it out there. And I don't know this fan, personally. I have no idea. Um, I've read some stuff about him, and he seems to like the attention. Mm-hmm. That's just my perception. I, like I said, I have never met him, don't know him, but just from what I have seen, like uh, like everybody else, I went to check out his social media and see what he's all about. Uh, he seems to like attention. And some of the stuff I heard that he said to some of the female talent, stuff like that, uh, in my opinion, crossed the line. Now, whether, it, in my opinion, he should have been ejected at that point because that, if if what he said is true, then he should have been ejected. But uh, uh, as far as that happening, I never personally witnessed it, but I would not doubt that it had happened uh, many times before. I, I'm pretty sure probably back in, in the early, early days, guys were probably dragged into the, or fans were probably dragged into the dressing room and a uh, little more than browbeating. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> I, hate to say it, but I, wouldn't doubt it. I wouldn't doubt it, you know. All of a sudden there's a scene out of Goodfellas or something like that. I don't know. <laughs> Uh, well, there you go. Uh, we, uh, this is a cool thing that, that came across my, my desk the other day. Uh, Wrestling Inc., we received an advanced copy of the WWE Harvard case study that Harvard's business, Harvard Business School's Business of Entertainment, Media, and Sports uh, will offer as a class beginning this fall. Can you believe it, Jimmy? WWE is going to be the focus of a class at Harvard come the fall. That, um... Totally threw me for a loop. Uh, I definitely did not see that coming. An Ivy League school kind of uh, looking. At, but then again, you know, it it is a successful business. Yeah. So in, in that regard, uh, I could see it happening. But at the same time, it, maybe it's because of that stigma attached to pro wrestling slash sports entertainment that it kind of it, it feels kind of odd. Yeah. At the same time, at the same time, it is kind of cool that Harvard's going to do a study on this. Well, that's awesome. I was a little surprised by this study. So I'll let me walk you through all what this means here. I've got some bullet points. Uh, the case. So what they do here is they're going to take a case. It's from January 2018, and it focuses on the questions of whether WWE should try to re try to sign retired MMA fighter Ronda Rousey, and if so, how such a deal should be structured. So this is a business question for them. So they're going to look at this case that was put together, looking at all the angles, the pros and the cons, how it affects the business if WWE were to sign ronda rousey in january 2018 and wwe um they didn't pay for the study here um but they you know did um allow it to happen obviously they signed off on it there's comments in here 
from multiple executives from WWE with information from the company. It reads like a bit of a deposition in a lawsuit, honestly, but it's done for the, the purpose here of giving some transparency to the students studying this case uh, to figure out, you know, if you're in this business decision, what are the pros and cons of signing w- or Ronda Rousey to a WWE contract? First of all, where were these cool classes when I was in college, Jimmy? This sounds like a blast. Yeah, no kidding. Can you imagine, like, if you were a fan of wrestling, having having uh, this kind of class in college? And not only that, let's say you were a fan of hockey, and all of a sudden, all the all the negotiating contracts for all the hockey players and stuff like that came up. It any bit football, anything that uh, amazing. This uh, is so cool. Yeah. So cool. I, I, I wish, like you said, I wish it was available, but um, my only concern, again, here I go, uh, not to be negative on this, because I love I love the fact that WWE is making it into in, into uh, mainstream college as well. Um, it, it, I, is this information from this study available only to the students, and, you know, will it leak out there, all this information that you said that sounds... We have the that, full case that, study. That like... Position. We have the full case study. We have it all. Like I'm gonna I'm gonna read through some highlights here and I'll get your opinions on it. But I'm glad you brought that up. If you if anybody else wants to go read all of the stuff that's in this case study, we have it up right now. It's an exclusive on the site. You can go find the wrestling Inc. case study. It's got a lot of info in it. Yeah. Here's my only concern is that this info will be read by a certain segment of the audience out there that I like to refer to commonly as the enlightened, who tend to think, uh, you know, everything is bad. You know, the, the, the negative people out there, and they're just going to read through it and just sift through all the negative stuff, and this is crap, and this sucks, and I can't believe they do this, and all this sort of stuff, instead of taking it for what it is, is a nice little inside look at see how the business actually runs. Yeah, and, and the first the first chunk of the of the case is as a brief history of WWE leading into two thousands. It was uh, leading into the two thousands. It was put together by Professor Elbers and research associate Melissa Rodman. So professional, um, but I'm not going to get into all the history there. But it, uh, as they get into the two thousands, they note that Vince felt the marketplace would be receptive to safer content again. He wanted to grow, or no, he says. We wanted to grow the way we wanted to have a product that appealed to a wide audience and reattract the blue chip sponsors we had lost in the Attitude Era. Oh, this is from Stephanie. Stephanie continued, he wanted to clean up the perception he didn't like all the blood and guts and gore, which goes, I mean, exactly right back to why you said they think they got rid of the hardcore title because they were trying to bring back sponsors, right? Exactly. See, and 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 if you look at some of the sponsors now on, on television, it, it, obviously it's it's uh, higher end advertisers and again in a business world that's what you want yeah it's it's weird to think that they you know like creatively everybody you know yearns for that time again to the attitude era but like they were i mean i guess at their height they were very very profitable let's be real here um but by changing the model up and doing a product that older fans didn't necessarily gravitate to it seems like it was more profitable that's got to be that's got to be a struggle internally to, to figure out which direction to go in that kind of position yeah but at the at the end of the day when you're a publicly traded company uh Unfortunately, it's the it's your shareholders that you have to please more than anybody. Because yeah. once the business is doing well uh, from a financial standpoint, I think everything everything else is kind of like okay, we can take care of that later, so to speak. Yeah. Well, Elbers and Rodman they also wrote that as of January 2018, WWE had evolved from a company centered on pro wrestling live events to a fully integrated media and entertainment company. It employed 850 staff members and earned more than 800 million dollars in revenues annually, with more than 200 million coming from international markets. 
Interestingly, the case named New Japan Pro Wrestling as WWE's main competition as of January 2018, with ROH and the Indies receiving mentions. Stephanie pointing out that WWE does not consider other professional wrestling promotions as potential competition any more than any other form of entertainment. But the but the idea that new and this is January 2018, obviously it would maybe shift a bit now with AEW in the picture. But are you surprised to hear that WWE, in the scope of pro wrestling, considered New Japan their biggest competition? Yeah, that is a little surprising. I thought they would they they would look more towards North America, but you know, obviously New Japan, uh, very popular in Japan, started making strides here in the United States. You know, picking up uh, they're on Axis down there, right? Uh, yeah, and they're on I believe the Fight Network up here in Canada. Um, yeah, I am a little bit surprised. I thought maybe because well, New Japan, like like I said, very popular over in Japan. Uh, making waves here in North America, but at the same time, I didn't think they were anywhere near as as visible, let's say, as an ROH. Yeah, well, at I least mean, up. You yeah. know, you, you got to remember that Bullet Club brand. That's you know, in hot topics. You know, they've they've had a big footprint here, and then when you look at it, the international side of it, you want to go try to travel in Japan and stuff. Obviously, they've been you know uh, met with some competition there directly. I, I'm not I'm not too surprised by that. It, in January 2018, I, I don't I, I don't I mean I don't know that Ring of Honor is on the same plane footprint wise as New Japan. So anyway, no, uh, no, probably not. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, I agree with that. Uh, in regards to developing talent, the case considers the WWE Performance Center and NXT. Of note, Stephanie seems to think that Raw and SmackDown Live viewers are fans of NXT. This is surprising. Uh, are the fans of NXT superstars before such talents are called up to the main roster? She says, we track digital and social media. We track merchandise sales. We know who's making it and who isn't. By the time our characters get up to the main roster, our fans are invested in them. Do you, do you believe that? Uh, not, to, to a, not really. Yeah. No. Um, the problem is, I think the fans are invested to a certain degree, but at the same time, um, you know, it all depends on how how they debut. And as we've seen, there have been some some fizzle outs with some of the guys who've been called up. But and most notably for me lately, I hate to pick him out, is Alistair Black. Yeah. I just don't get um, this whole dark brooding in a dark room character that he's doing right now and i really wasn't a fan of his promo this past week as well like uh, to me it didn't come off well uh here's a guy who has all the ability in the world in the ring um he great entrance i love the entrance here's the potential to to create another character superstar that would get over huge and i think it was a wasted opportunity by having him just sit in the room and brood but that's my own personal point for me, the big challenge is going to be see because I see a guy like uh, Velveteen Dream, and I'm I'm sure you do too. I see this guy as money on the main roster. Yeah. But I'm afraid that when he gets there, it will not have the same impact, so to speak, as he has on the NXT brand. Unfortunately. You're right about Alistair Black, and I think there's still time to to save an Alistair Black. At least they seem to be investing him more than an EC3 or whatever. The one for me that kills me is the War Raiders. You know, these guys were war machine in New Japan, white hot, came to NXT, white hot, great matches, and within four weeks, on main event, on the main roster. I don't get it. I, I mean, I know that there was a lot of mistakes made with names and stuff, but how do you completely blow it and drop the ball with a team like that? It's because the tag team division right now is not great. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, 
let's be honest. I mean, yeah. like there's some great teams in that in that tag team division, and if they would focus more on on you know, creating some rivalries that, that make sense, as opposed to you know back shaving and stuff like that, if they concentrated more on on actual you know in ring competition with these guys, I think it would the, the tag team division could. Uh, have a little bit of a revival, so to speak. There you go. Well, also of note in developmental, Triple H, the executive vice president of talent, live events, and creative, claimed that he is charged with the responsibility of deciding which NXT talent graduate to Raw or SmackDown Live, noting it is ultimately up to me. This is Triple H saying this. It is ultimately up to me. But look, fan reaction is really what drives our business. Our biggest stars are the ones that get the biggest reaction, positively or negatively. This is transparently, I feel like, not true, right? Like, there's no way Hunter is making the call about who comes up. This, I mean, from everything I've read and, and talked to people, Vince is largely the person that's picking guys out. Maybe Triple H recommends people, and Vince decides from those recommendations. But I, I can't believe Hunter is the one directly choosing who's coming up from NXT to the main roster. Um, I don't know. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna question him. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I mean, sure. Like, sure. That's his. That's his brand. I mean, like. Uh, I could see him being the guy who says, hey, this guy should go up. This guy is money. Oh, the problem is, as we talked about before, is once they get there, um, someone else takes over. Right. And that's the problem. I think maybe if they, if if Hunter was the guy that said, hey, um, I'm just picking a name out of the hat. Adam Cole, because I love Adam Cole. Adam Cole is going up to the main roster. Here's what we're doing with him. I think they would have a better shot uh, then handing him over and then trying to uh, reinvent the wheel with the character that's been working in NXT. I don't know. Yeah. The, the, uh, AKA the Viking experience. You're right. And I don't want to directly question the man here, but this, this comment came directly on the heels of Stephanie saying how she thinks the fans are invested in NXT talent by the time they make it the right main roster. And there's obviously a bit of a disconnect there. You know, I, I go back to, there was that one raw, uh, a couple months ago where they brought like black and ricochet and a couple other talent out in front of a crowd that was not a hot market. And remember how dead it was and like nobody was mm -hmm. reacting to them. I, I don't know. Again, it's like, I think there's a little bit of stretching going on here with some of the narrative in this, in this case study. So that's all I'll say. Yeah. Yeah. Again, it's, it's, I think people assume that everybody that watches raw and SmackDown automatically watch the network or have the network and watch NXT. Uh, I highly doubt that very much. The only the, only the diehards really have the network. Yeah. Uh, well, also here coming out of this case study, apparently, or not apparently, according to them, WWE talent are required to assign their existing intellectual property over to WWE for the duration of the contract and all property created for the wrestler during his or her time with WWE belongs to WWE in perpetuity. In regards to outside opportunities, WWE superstars must give WWE permission before taking part in outside appearances or film or television roles. Elbers and Rodman explained WWE typically charges a management fee that is deducted from the payment the talent receives for such activity. And none of that, I don't think any of that's too surprising. It's all pretty standard. Um, and then, yeah. and then uh, here's, here's where we get to the meat of the would you sign Ronda Rousey or not discussion. WWE chairman Vince McMahon was not apparently immediately sold on the idea of bringing in Rousey and questioned the Rowdy One's ability to transition from the octagon to the squared circle, saying, I don't know if I would have gone after her with the same zeal as my daughter Stephanie and son-in-law Triple H as they are pursuing her. Hmm. Hmm. I don't know. Just a weird insight there. 
David say that on the record. Uh, what do you make of that? Uh, I find that interesting because, uh, you know, say what you will about Vince. He usually has a good eye. I mean, he did have one with Kurt Angle, that's for sure. Sure. But, uh, but um, obviously, he didn't see what, what Hunter and Stephanie did in Ronda Rousey. And uh, you know what? He was he was proven incorrect. And to hear that statement actually is kind of surprising because uh, Vince doesn't – was that a statement directly from Vince? That is from Vince McMahon on the record. I don't know if I would have gone after her with the same zeal as my daughter and son-in-law are pursuing her. That's the full quote. Oh. Okay, so uh, it seems we're getting maybe a kinder, gentler Vince, who's a, who's willing to show the world that hey, you know, sometimes I, I'm incorrect, sometimes I miss things, yeah. and that's why I have people around me, I surround myself with people who do. Well, and you know, and you go back to the Triple H comment about how it's ultimately up to him which NXT talents graduate to Raw or SmackDown. You know, maybe I was quick to judge there. You know, may, you know, obviously, if him and Steph have the power to get a huge deal with Ronda Rousey pulled off that they could sell Vince on, you know, maybe there is a lot more sway here for Triple H, you know, on the low key than, than we even know at the moment. So, um, on the subject of structuring a talent contract for Rousey, Triple H anticipated that the so-called downside guarantee would be the biggest item to be negotiated. So here's a real glimpse into the business mind of WWE. Triple H says, I wouldn't be surprised if we end up having to promise a downside guarantee that is comparable to the one John Cena has, and he is our highest paid wrestler. The question is whether we should be prepared to go that high, and if they push for a guarantee that is significantly better than anyone else has ever had, male or female, I wonder whether we should even entertain such an idea. And on that note, Professor Elbers' students in the second year uh, of the course will be expected to weigh WWE's opportunities in signing Ronda Rousey and discuss the particulars of a hypothetical performance contract for the judo specialist. So that's the end of all of my notes here, but... uh, I, that took a little longer than I expected. Thank you for sticking around, Jimmy. But kind of interesting here to, to hear that all laid out is a Harvard case study on WWE. Absolutely. And that, that, I find that very interesting, uh, you know, laying that out about Ronda Rousey's contract and stuff like that. But, you know, some people would obviously say, hey, you know what? She's not a proven commodity in the ring, in the wrestling ring. Is she worth signing it at, at that rate, so to speak? But at the same time, uh, let's be honest, as far as the WWE is concerned, male or female, is there an internationally known star as big as Ronda Rousey on the WWE roster currently? Great question. Uh, and on that note, uh, as well as that uh, exclusive we had on the Harvard uh, case study there, as in-depth as that was, as, as tantalizing as that was, my last new item here, uh, uh, J- Jimmy, it did three times the amount of traffic as that in-depth Harvard case study. And that story is that Corey Graves shared a photo of he and Carmella kissing in a phone booth on Instagram with a caption that read, F a false narrative. What's real is real. And that's what fans in pro wrestling care about, Jimmy. That shows you what they're interested in right now. Oh, absolutely, because uh, what what is everybody talking about? Uh, Becky Lynch and Seth Rollins, all these personal relationships. I guess, I guess that's the stuff real wrestling fans want to know. I don't know. See, see, and then there you go. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, Vince doesn't know what what wrestling fans today want. I don't think wrestling fans today know what they want. <laughs>
My guest at this time is a former Ring of Honor wrestler and a current member of the Ugly Ducklings. You can find them all over the independent scene, including GCW. It is Colby Carino. Colby, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. Thanks for having me on, Nick. Yeah, my pleasure. Well, uh, Colby, like I told you before we got on the air, like I've actually had the chance to share some space with you, see you in person. I've always enjoyed you. Uh, to get us started off, though, here... Let me know, how are you doing mentally, physically? I know that, you know, the past couple years ago, there were a couple incidents that uh, that I didn't like to have to report about on the site, but I had to anyway. How, how are you doing these days? I'm doing real well. Um, I just had a kid, and that, that, that works wonders for my mental health. I don't got any time to even worry about myself. And uh, physically, I think I'm doing great. Like, I'm in the best shape I am in my life. I feel like I'm on a roll in wrestling, and... Uh, it just keeps, it keeps going uphill. Yeah, and, you know, you talk, because I know it does seem like you've weathered this storm here through some of the issues you've had. I mean, what is your advice to other people that may, in the wrestling community, be dealing to other stuff that you went through? Uh, Sorry, what was that? I missed that. Oh, no, I was just saying, you know, you seem to have weathered this storm, you know, and I'm happy for you. But, you know, what did you learn from this experience? What kind of advice would you give to other wrestlers that maybe, you know, were dealing with some of the issues you were dealing with? Um, it's just, you gotta, you gotta want to change and, um, you gotta make, want to make your life better. And, uh, you gotta put in the drive and put in the work to really make it happen because you can sit around and say it all you want, but if you don't got put in the effort, it's not going to happen for you. Yeah, man. Well, let's get to it here. Let's talk about your wrestling. Now your whole life has obviously been like entrenched in pro wrestling. Do you think that's fair to say? Uh, yeah, that's pretty uh, fair to say. I went to my first wrestling show when I was three weeks old, so I've pretty much always been around the business. Okay, so there was a three-week period where you were not in the wrestling business. I gotcha. Um, what what are your earliest memories of pro wrestling, considering, you know, all the wrestling you've been entrenched in? Oh, man. Um, I remember always just, like, watching my dad, uh, bleed everywhere, and then he'd come to the back, and I'd be ready with, uh, paper towels and band-aids to wipe them all off. Like, I feel like most kids would be scared to see their parents uh, bleeding, but it was just, like, another day for me. Oh. I'll just clean them all up, and then... Oh, my God. That's wild. So, for you, you had, you, you were not put off by this at all. I'm getting shades of, like, Noelle Foley and her brother Dewey backstage and, like, beyond the mat, you know, do, watching their dad bleed out. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was pretty normal to me. It, uh if I uh, if I was that upset about it, I'd be upset a lot, you know? <laughs> sure. Well, you don't need to be upset. I mean, your dad made so many memories for so many people, you know? But like you say, you know, your dad, you know, he wrestled a pretty intense style. I mean, having been through what he went through, did he want you to be a pro wrestler? Was that always something he, he wanted for you? Uh, he never pushed me into it, but um, he he always just wanted to leave leave it up to me, like, what I wanted to do. And he supported me throughout whatever I wanted to do. It just so happened that it always was wrestling. Okay. And so when you decided to become a pro wrestler, was he pretty hands-on with your training and, like, making sure that you went to, to certain people? Um, he didn't really have that much hands-on with my actual training. Okay. But um, he, like, he handed me off to Mike Keener, who was an old referee CW and trained a lot of guys in, like, the Philadelphia area. And uh, he, he, like, kept a watchful eye over me as Mike trained me. Okay. But most of the stuff I learned came from Mike Keener. Okay, cool. Because I would imagine, yeah, I mean, it's like, how does your dad, you know, Steve Carino, one of the uh, the better wrestlers of our day, not get involved in his son's training here? I mean, I got to imagine that you're getting advice from him that other uh, pro wrestling students are getting. I mean, like, what is some of the better advice you feel like your dad has given you about pro wrestling? Oh, there's so many. Um, 
one thing that like rings true in my mind like every time I go to the ring is that um he always would say that it's like it's not about it's not all about the wrestling in the ring and that's about creating moments for people and uh creating moments for fans because like if you have a if you have a really good match people remember for a little while until the next good match comes up but if you can create a moment that people are going to remember forever that's what's going to live on very cool man and like you know last question here just kind of about your upbringing like with your dad here like for you again it's like your whole life has been the carinos us and everything like what are your favorite moments from your dad's career do you have any personal favorite moments from his career oh um uh, I got, I loved getting to go to Japan with him and watch him wrestle like Japanese legends like Masada Tanaka and uh, Otani and Shinya Hashimoto. Like that was so cool to me, and like the fact that I was able to be there and like watch it all happen was even better. So, like, did you go to public school or were you like private school or homeschooled or something? No, I was a public school kid. So, like, you get to tell these stories to your friends and stuff. Were, like, they all super jealous to hear, like, you're getting to do this, like, cool wrestling stuff? Or were you, were you like, kind of uncomfortable about it? Um, I was kind of I, – I was real shy in school, and I didn't have many friends to tell. Hmm. And uh, it's not really something I just, like, walked around the halls being like, my dad's a pro wrestler. I just got back from Japan. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but if someone asked me, I wasn't, like, hiding behind it. I felt like uh, the Peter Parker of my school. Okay. Got and on it. weekends, I, c- I could turn into Spider Man. Okay. So that's interesting here because, like, to hear you were a shy kid that weren't, like, yelling at the rafters, I'm doing all this cool stuff with my dad. You know, we could talk about other points of your career here a little on. But the Ugly Ducklings, I really like this group. I was very, I was very sad. Uh, Ugly Ducklings were part of Warrior Wrestling 5, which I do commentary for here in Chicago, but you weren't there. It was just Rob Killjoy and Coach Mikey. Uh, who and what are the Ugly Ducklings? Uh, the Ugly Ducklings started out as we were just thrown together in an undercard uh, six-man tag, and our personality, like, it was the first night we ever met each other, and when we just went out to the ring, all our personalities just meshed so well that, like, all the fans wanted to see more of us, and uh, they brought us back as a team, and it just kind of, it grew organically, and we're just, we're all misfits, so we just figured the Ugly Duckling name would be perfect for us. Yeah, man. So, like, is it is it like a supposed to be like a punk rock Mighty Ducks vibe? Like, I'm not really sure what to to get of the aesthetic of the Ugly Ducklings. Uh, it's just kind of whatever we like. We like we like uh, the punk rock and all. Well, Rob does, Killjoy doesn't, but uh, like we we love all of the the Mighty Ducks and uh, Darkwing Duck and anything we can cut shoehorn in that works with us. Uh, that's great. Check it out online if you haven't seen the Ugly Ducklings. Like, how do you? How important do you think it is to have like a big character like the Ugly Ducklings uh, on the independent pro wrestling scene right now? Uh, I, it's super important. Like, we just it's it's a lot different from what el- what everyone else is doing, and that's what we really need in in, in the end. is variety. We don't want to see uh, a thousand Dean Malenkos versus a thousand Eddie Guerreros, as good as they might be. But uh, like we want, we want to see new stuff and and more variety and different characters. Yeah. What are some of your biggest pet peeves on the indies? Ooh, biggest pet peeves. Um, let me think. I mean, I gotta know this stuff. If you show up and you're like, "This is going on here," I uh, I'm judging your independent pro wrestling promotion right now. You ever been to a show and and when you see someone walk on the ring, it looks like a waterbed with all the boards flipping up? Yes, I have. What well, that? As, as soon as I I walk in and see that, I'm like, oh, here we go again. Like, oh, 
that's it's scary to be in. Like some of the, some of these rings in uh, on the independent scene is just they're not good. They're dangerous to be in. Yeah. And what we're doing is inherently dangerous anyway. We don't need any more risk. Yeah. Do you ever think about um, going into the promotional side of things, like maybe running your own shows or anything like that? Uh, maybe down the line. But right now, I wanna I wanna be as on as many shows as possible. Okay. And on other people's shows and get my name out there a little bit more. Okay, cool. Yeah, well, that's the thing is, like, your name has been out there, Colby. I mean, you were part of Ring of Honor there for a couple of years. I mean, take me back here. Like, how did you originally fall into that original storyline with BJ Winterburn and everything you guys were doing with the decade in Ring of Honor a couple of years ago? Um, well, it all started because I would just hang around Ring of Honor. And, like, when my dad uh, first returned back in 2009, I was going to any show that I could in driving distance. And uh, eventually I started put, like just helping set up the ring. Eventually I started getting paid to set up the ring. And then uh, I just started appearing on TV. Like there was a, there was already a little like animosity uh, between my dad and BJ Whitmer. Like that went back years. But uh, once they, once the, that storyline started getting reunited a little bit, it was just like, Oh, well Colby's here and it'd be perfect to use him. <laughs> Now, how do you feel like that? Now, how do you feel when all of a sudden, because these, these are this is a kind of classic story that you and uh, your dad and, and BJ got to tell here. Oh, it's, uh, I love I love I love storytelling and pro wrestling, and it seemed like uh, what we did was while it was traditional, it was it's not something that's being done a lot these days. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what was your what what was your relationship like with Ring of Honor? What was it like to work with uh, management at that time, or were you just kind of nodding your head and, and taking whatever? Uh, it was. I, I learned a lot working there, and it was uh, it was it was a great learning experience. Like I was able to when I was doing a lot of the seminars and tryout camps, okay. and so I got to work closely with um, Hunter and Kevin Kelly and Christopher Daniels, and I got so much from out of working with them. Yeah, talk to me a little bit about working with Hunter Delirious. For those that are listening here right now, I believe he's still in power there. Talk, talk to me a little bit about what what kind of a a mind Hunter has. He's got a he's got a real good mind for pro wrestling. Um, like, I didn't get to talk to him that much. Like a lot of my orders would come indirectly, mm-hmm. but so I didn't get to discuss much with him. But uh, he's he's got he's got a good head on his shoulders. He definitely doesn't. Uh, deserve the rap he has right now okay well what do you what do you think about the current ring of honor product i gotta imagine you're watching a lot of stuff uh, and it's you know and the possibility of maybe doing other things like what do you think of where ring of honor's at right now uh i think they're in a good rebuilding period like uh after the elite left i felt like it kind of left a void in their product sure but it seems like with um they're they're trying real hard to rebuild with like a lot of uh indie guys like tracy williams just got signed they just re-signed jonathan gresham um I just saw a vignette from Maria Manic. Like, like they're trying new stuff with their women's division. Like, gotta give them a little credit for for trying some new stuff. Yeah. Now, have you or the Ducklings have you guys had any chats about maybe going somewhere like a, an ROH, MLW, Impact, or or above? You know, AEW type deal. Yeah, we've had a ton of conversations with it, but unfortunately, the it's not really up to us. Okay. What is it? So, you, <laughs> so you're inter- so you are having conversations with people. So, like, we, there's a chance we could maybe see you on a bigger stage. I think it's fair to say in the in the foreseeable future. Yeah, maybe. 
Okay. Well, what yeah, I think there's a good uh, a good uh, chance you might see me soon. Okay. Well, as a child of ECW, uh, I'll I'll take a step back here first. You know, I talked about those promotions, but I saw you listed here. You're now we're recording this year. This will come out later, but you're you're doing a show for GCW tonight, correct? Yes, sir. Crushed up. Now, talk to me a bit about GCW and like I I always kind of look at GCW a bit like the modern ECW. I mean, do you get similar vibes or do you think they're different entities? No, like as I say the same thing every time I, I walk in the doors. I'm uh, uh, it's just like a new age ECW. It's like the same vibe as ECW had back in the day, and I I love being a part of it. The yeah. shows are so much fun. Yeah, man. Do you feel like a natural kinship there? I mean, considering again, it's like the legacy and staying in line with what your dad did. Does it like mean more to you? And do you get more excited when you get to be in a space like that? Yeah, it is because like uh, I feel like um, like if they're ECW back in the day. Then I'm there, Steve Carino. <laughs> and it kind of like it, it makes me feel a little good, like I got a part there. Okay, cool, man. Like, and you know, on the other flip side here, like AEW, very different entity. Like, what do you think of the work those guys are doing right now, right or wrong? Oh, I, I love what they're doing. Um, I watched Double or Nothing, Double or Nothing, and uh, it was great. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to see how the TV show works out. Yeah, I would imagine you and Moxley would have some fun together in the ring. Oh, yeah, definitely. I, I could only dream of uh, stepping in the ring with Mox. <laughs> uh, well, you did get to step in the ring on WWE TV here just a couple months ago. Uh, you wrestled Mike Kanellis on 205 Live. Like, how, how was that experience for you getting to, to be in a WWE ring? It, it was great. It's, uh, it's a lot bigger than most indie rings, so that threw me off a little bit. Maybe that's why I lost so fast. Sure. <laughs> sure. But um, it, was, it was great. I, I loved uh, ha- being around everyone backstage. Like, there's such great minds there. And uh, it's just, like, it's all the people that I grew up watching on TV and that they're now helping the product uh, be – I'm tr- trying to think of the word. They're helping the product – they're just helping make the product, I guess. Sorry, I had a little bit of brain fart. No, that's fine. No, so, like, you, you talk about the minds and stuff that are working back there. I mean, obviously your dad's back there, but who are you – to working with to, to put this match together with Mike, you know, what it was. Uh, Eric Young was actually the producer for that one. Really? And, uh, yeah. Oh, I didn't even know he was a producer until uh, I got there and I saw it on the sheet. I didn't know Eric Young was a producer either. So, wait, he is also working backstage. To, how, was, how was working with him as a producer? It was great. Like, um, everyone's, like, super nice there and super accommodating. And, uh, they're open to like listen to ideas and what anything to make the product better. Yeah. Well, and what do you how do you feel WWE handles like let's go particularly the 205 live product? Like what do you think of the way they're handling that? Uh I think it's I think it's getting better. If if I were to change one thing, I would just tape it before SmackDown. Okay. Because so the crowd wouldn't be so the crowd would be all there and uh it would they wouldn't all leave right after SmackDown. Sure. Sure. That but makes sense. If um I feel like with a bit more crowd interaction it would it would it would be one of the best wrestling shows there because all the wrestling's already there. They already got the talent. Yeah. Who are some of your favorite talents right now uh, in that two hundred five live division? Is there anybody you would like to mix it up in particular with? Ooh, I, I want to get a, uh, another go at it with Cedric Alexander mm. and uh, Drew Gulak too. Those are two guys I wrestled, or uh, I actually didn't get a wrestle Drew Gulak because he broke my arm before the match. Well, what a dick. So. What a dick. Yeah, right. <laughs> Why you got to go and do that? That's not necessary. Um, you know, we uh, we talked, we brought up Moxie before. I wanted to ask you, you know, he did that big interview with Jericho, uh, you know, 
with airing his thoughts about creative. I mean, when you hear something like that, obviously you just had an experience with WWE, but it does does it dissuade you at all from wanting to to go to that company, or are you still very interested in in a run in WWE? I'm really interested in a run in WWE. Uh, like we can watch all, like we can listen to the Moxley interview or watch the the John Stewart uh, piece they did a few weeks ago, but it's it really would mean a lot to me to go there. Like it's something I, I grew up watching, and to be a part of the product would just means so much to me. Okay. Very cool. Uh, well, uh, I'll wrap it up here, uh, Colby. Um, what do you, what are your big goals? You know, I asked about a WWE run, you know, we talked about some other companies, but I mean, you personally, like, what are you looking to get out of the pro wrestling business? Um, honestly, my biggest goal in wrestling is to make a living for my family and be able to do this for as long as I possibly can because <laughs> wrestling is my whole life. And I don't want to just like live fast and, and hard like I want to be able to have a long sustained career that I can build off of and support my family with. Dude, that's that's exactly what I want to hear, man, because like again, I really enjoyed your work in the ring, you know, I'm in the pro wrestling news game and it hurts me to have to report some things sometimes, but it does seem like you're you're doing well right now, my friend, and and I wish you the best with everything. Is uh is there anything you want to plug put over here to wrap up the interview? Yeah, sure. Uh, you can check out my social media. I'm at Colby Carino on Twitter. I'm also verified, so that's pretty cool. Nice. Um, I'm at Colby.Carino on Instagram. And if you head on over to ProWrestlingTees.com slash Colby Carino, you can find a few of my shirt designs that I got on sale and uh, get, some, get some Colby swag. Hey, and thanks for taking time out. I appreciate it. Oh, of course. No problem. Yeah, so... um. I, you know, I saw that you put this shirt on sale. Um, it just takes me back to the like the past year or two. I feel like Ring of Honor has really gotten into uh, doing more community involvement, community outreach. Um, was this kind of your kind of push, or was this something that Ring of Honor has wanted to do as a company for a while now? Before we get into the shirt itself, but just like the hospital sure. visits, the library readings, it just seems like something that you guys have been doing more and more of. Sure, I, I think it. I think it's been a, a perfect storm of of the right people, the right timing, and and the realization that um, as Ring of Honor gets bigger, um, we have an obligation to give back to the communities that that we not only live in but those that we go to as well. And so, for us, for for folks like myself and, and Colt Cabana, um, and and Kelly Klein and Caprice Coleman in, in particular, um, you know we've we've tried to wave the flag for community service and opportunities to, to help out. And it's one of the most exciting things and parts of being a part of ring of honor as our profile grows, as we, you know, go to Madison square garden. And, and as we expand our schedule and go to different markets, both on television and for live events is that the, the opportunity um, to give back grows as our profile does. And so we have folks that, you know, for for myself and and Kelly Klein, uh, this is really our our first opportunity on a national level at this kind of level to do things to give back. And you know, for folks like Colt who helped me with um, the the hurricane relief efforts we did for Puerto Rico in 2017, and who's been at a lot of the children's hospital events, also um, he recognizes that that this is a, a a cool opportunity too to to be involved with something special and 
it all, it, everything we do goes back to the support we have from the office and the support we have from each other. I, I think we have a lot of like-minded individuals that are genuinely interested in, in giving back and, and helping the communities we live in and, and those that we, we go to. Yeah, I remember uh, doing – I went to the Lakeland TV taping. I just saw you had called for me at the table and, and, and for the food drive and uh, just raising money and, and things like that. It's just how do you feel um, this kind of has kind of thrown a fan base? I mean, when you go to these hospitals and when you go to the library readings, um, do you feel like you're becoming more and more recognizable as the brand continues to grow? I think for us, um, you know, for me in particular, in, in the grand scheme of things, I recognize my profile is low and I recognize that, you know, some of the, you know, some of the kids aren't, aren't even allowed to watch wrestling at home. Um, so sometimes it's, it's more exciting uh, in particular when we meet the teachers at, at the schools or when we meet um, the nurses and the doctors and, and the staff that, that help the, the kids get better because sometimes they, they recognize us more frequently uh, than the kids do. And, and that can be for a number of reasons. Um, mostly in particular that even though we have a very family friendly product that, uh, you know, wrestling at its core is a, is a, a contact sport. So <laughs> sometimes, sometimes, uh, parents prevent, you know, their, their kids from watching that. But, um, it's been, I think we, we hit a major crossroads where, we, as we do more events, we recognize that we had some extra time in some of the towns that we were in, especially when, um, you know, the two towns or three towns we'd go to were particularly close and were close together. Um, so between myself and, and I, again, I got to give a lot of credit to Kelly Klein and to Caprice Coleman, um, you know, between the three of us, we looked for different opportunities to just engage uh, different people. And thankfully I, I can look up and down the roster and everybody from, from bully Ray uh, who deep down inside is a, is a teddy bear to the world champion, Matt Taven has been along with us to, to these visits and to these uh, school readings and classroom visits and, and things like that. So it's, it's just been a, a pretty neat opportunity. And, um, you know, it, sometimes it's extra special when it, when I'm in Allentown, that's my hometown. Um, when I get to go to, to schools there and, and to, to help raise money with, with the new t-shirt for the Bradbury Sullivan community center. Um, you know, that those are extra rewarding for me. And the only, I hope that it does, it does, I'd rather have it do nothing to raise my profile and everything to raise the awareness of of what we are trying to either raise money for or draw attention to like children's literacy. And, uh, you know, you mentioned the t-shirt and you're giving back to your, your own community. Where did the inspiration for, to do this particular shirt? I mean, happy wrestling, that's the catchphrase you, you use for yourself. So it's a great take on that and kind of putting your, your little mark on that. But, um, just where, what was the moment that you're like, Hey, I want to do something like this. And did you, did you, did someone else kind of come to you and give you an idea or just something that just popped in your head? you like, you brought it to the office and they're like, this is great. Sure. Sure. So the idea for the shirt, um, came from an online discussion I saw people having, and there was frustration that, that companies and corporations and, and brands 
were using the pride flag in a way to make money. And they were using it on T-shirts, on buttons, on pins, on logos. And there was no indication in, in any of the promotional material or press releases that this merchandise with the pride flag would be going to any organization. Um, and so for me, I, I had been reading these items, and, and I won't name the, the companies or corporations, and, and I had just been frustrated. And I thought, well, maybe Ring of Honor could do the same thing. And and I, I thought the sign-off, which, which Colt helped me cultivate uh, about two years ago, um, would be pretty neat. And it would be pretty easy to do, right? If, you, if you're coming up with, with ideas, um, quick and easy but also good um, is something that is sometimes needed to get it through the, the machinations of, of something that needs to be designed, approved, and, and printed. And so I just thought, well, my T-shirt has a lot of white space. What if we incorporated the pride flag? And then I thought, that's you know that's an okay idea, but how do we how do we take it to the next level and how do we help people with that? And so um, in Allentown, uh, some of my LGBT friends um, they are aware and can vouch for the Bradbury Sullivan LGBT Community Center. And we've been asked why that hasn't been included in the post. Uh, it's simply because you don't want to name organizations without their permission. And, and we don't want to imply that they are involved in this fundraising effort. But I can assure you that anything that is uh, the proceeds from this shirt will go to that organization. And, and that's going to be something that, that I handle and that, that's my call as well. But um, I can't say enough good about Ring of Honor and how quickly they responded to my email. I sent, I sent the email on, I think, 1 a.m. Sunday, Sunday night into Monday morning. Um, I'd gotten up. Uh, my son couldn't sleep. Um, I was scrolling through Twitter, and I saw a discussion, uh, and I shot off an email to our general manager. And before business hours, he sent me a, a response back saying that he loved the idea. We're going to see if we can get some design help for you because I'm not great at graphic design. And we went ahead and they got it designed and got it approved. And um, by the after by that afternoon, it was up and available for sale. So, wow. uh, yeah. So I can't say enough about how awesome not only the locker room is, but also the the Ring of Honor office for just kind of letting us run with these initiatives and trusting us to to do these sorts of things to to look to to help our communities. And uh, one of the things I noticed on social media, you addressed uh, Pero's concern about. Uh, that there being no LGBTQ representation with the company, and you you know you took that and you're like you wanted to stand up for it because you you believe that is not true. So you know I wanted to give you the platform to kind of to delve a little bit into what you were saying on Twitter and those tweets and and just kind of responding to him and others who might feel the same way. Sure, absolutely. Um, in various roles and, and positions that I've had throughout my life, there's been an opportunity to learn what it means to be a good ally to the LGBT community. Um, I identify as a, as a straight man, um, and with that comes privileges and, and comes uh, things that are not afforded to folks that have to live with something that makes them, that, that makes them feel different. And I've never had to personally confront the things that, 
the feelings and the emotions that are associated with being LGBTQ, non-binary, uh, et cetera, you know, anything that's on the, the spectrum and of identity. And so for me, um, trying to be the best ally I can be, I've attempted to, to really educate myself in how I can help others and, and how I can, I can learn more about sexual identity. And from the things I've learned, um, it's, it's not always in the person's best interest to identify as LGBTQ, non-binary, et cetera, or, or the person's best personal wishes to reveal that identity. And, and what I have to say to, to Paro and, and anyone else that chooses to, to say that the representation of LGBT athletes on Ring of Honor is non-existent is uh, there's more to the story and that um, over the years we have had a tremendous number of LGBT plus athletes that have competed in Ring of Honor and some who have been openly identified as LGBTQ, et cetera, and some that currently appear on television is that it is a personal choice and a personal decision um, to keep that identity private and, and to keep that separate from what they do. I know right now we have an environment at Ring of Honor where that does not make a difference and the revelation of the identity uh, to the locker room would not prove harmful to their position in the company, uh, nor should it. Um, over the years, we've had a, a tremendous amount of not only LGBT athletes, but we've had support. I mean, I think back to Madison Square Garden, we had we had a former world champion, Dalton Castle, come out on a on a float uh, with the pride flag adorned on it. Um, many times Dalton Castle has come to the ring with a pride flag. We've had competitors uh, wear the pride flag on their gear. It's not something that we're hiding in plain sight. It's something that our athletes have the freedom of expression to do and that they're not afraid to do. Now, personal identity, that is something that is uniquely inherent and that's something that I can't I will not I will I personally choose not to out the identity uh, of those in Ring of Honor but I can assure Paro that and those that may you know challenge the assertion that Ring of Honor has no representation um, but that is not true at this time okay and you know you're so passionate you're a great ambassador for, for this pro uh, product um, and then you being the voice, one of the voices of Ring of Honor uh, for so long. A lot of people don't realize that you also maintain, you know, you're a dad. You also have a day job you still maintain. Is that becoming harder and harder to juggle now that Ring of Honor is becoming, you know, more and more prevalent with, with pay-per-views and live events and specials and your other responsibilities and you have these NWA events popping up? Just what it's been like the last year or so as the growth has continued with you having to juggle everything else on the outside? Sure, sure. It's it's been it's been fun. Um, it's something that it's I I, I thrive on. on I, I hate to say chaotic lifestyle, but I, I thrive on on making things work and and new challenges and uh, new opportunities and um, the challenge of being a dad and a husband and uh, the voice of Ring of Honor. So all of these new opportunities, I, you know, I'm the pit announcer for the World Arm Wrestling League now. Um, 
all of these opportunities that have come up have, have just been, you know, amazing. And I've heard guys, you know, I think back to when the young bucks were here, I, I think, I, I think back to guys like Colt Cabana, who, who he and I talk about this a lot. Um, there's a finite amount of opportunity um, whether it's time or money or energy to do exactly what you love to do. And my days are long and they're packed tight and they're jammed tight. Uh, but I'm so thankful and, and thrilled for the opportunities to, to be able to do everything that I'm able to do. And so, um, you know, honestly, I'm just trying to li- live my life to the fullest right now. And, and really the only uh, person that, that can dictate that is, you know, I, I value the opinion of my wife. <laughs> and if she says that I need to be home more, then I'm going to be home more. Um, if she says that I need more time with the kids, then, then that's his opinion I'm going to take, take most serious. But it's a, it's a fun, thrilling challenge right now. And, uh, you know, especially with, with, all the, with all the new developments in Ring of Honor, whether it's new markets like Seattle and Portland, uh, new television markets, um, Madison Square Garden, the, uh, the NWA Crockett Cup. It, it's all it's all good right now. <laughs> it really is. And uh, you know, you you mentioned you touched on the World Arm Wrestling League. Um, you know, as the official pit announcer coming up, uh, you have a, a, a event in Richmond. Um, just compare the atmospheres for the two, um, from this growing kind of brand and, and event to what you've been experiencing with pro wrestling. Oh, you know what? I would say they're remarkably similar. Um, Especially, I think back to, I think back to a time period when I first started to get into Ring of Honor, um, which was was very close to the the beginning, um, and I remember watching the original events on VHS for Ring of Honor, and and seeing the crowds, you know, at the Armory, and just the the passion. And I think the the passion is the same. Um, there are intense bursts in in the World Arm Wrestling League when they're live. Uh, there's nothing quite like it. And once you understand the strategy and once you understand um, some of the physics behind it, it, it's a pretty awesome experience. And it's not unlike Ring of Honor where um, you can become a fan very, very quickly and there's a, there's a low learning curve. Um, the personalities are big. The stars are big. Um, there is just this awesome energy when you're at a world arm wrestling league event. So it's pretty neat. We're, we're super excited ring of honor partners with the world arm wrestling league. I know PCO is the inaugural uh, ring of honor WAL uh, co-champion. You won that at the festival of honor uh, back at the Madison square garden theater. So, um, so it's pretty neat. It's, it's cool to be their partner and it's, it's cool to have that opportunity as well. And, and I would say there, the, the live experiences are, are pretty com- comparable WAL is a little bit more intimate just because when the arm wrestlers are competing, when they're pulling, uh, that's a very small stage and a small setup. So to ensure that everybody has, has the best view possible, there's, there's a limited number of tickets and availability. So just a hair bit more intimate, but I'd say the energy and the intensity is very, very comparable. And, and some of the, you know, some of the, the athletes are, are larger than life as well. You know, not unlike wrestling, they have their personalities. They, a lot of them have day jobs where they're firefighters or they're um, mechanics or they're farmers or they're stay at home dads and moms. And it's, it's a really cool atmosphere. All right. And uh, lastly, uh, we're heading into the best in the world pay-per-view your next big event uh, for ring of honor. 
Um, you've been there, you know, it seems Ring of Honor is in a, a rebuilding phase, a transitional period with new talent being focused on a new showcase. You know, better best example, Matt Taven as the Ring of Honor world champion. Um, what's the feeling that you get from the locker room in this competitive environment, the landscape of wrestling changes with AEW, but you have your partnerships with New Japan, um, CMLL. You guys have a show coming up in the summer in August. Um, all these changes happening with Ring of Honor, but they're still kind of staying the course as far as making these progressions uh, toward building their audience in spite of everything else going on and, and being and remaining competitive. So but from your end and your vantage point, your viewpoint, um, what, what's been the feeling in the locker room and what do you kind of gather the next couple of months uh, that Ring of Honor kind of uh, uh, navigates through the seas right now with more and more competition coming up? Absolutely. Um, you know, over the, I've been with Ring of Honor in some capacity for almost five years now. Um, I've been our lead announcer for about two and a half. And through the course of, of the history that I've been with Ring of Honor, um, there's always been pressure from different outlets and different entities. And the idea of competition is, is good. And that creates an opportunity for everyone, including myself, to to step up and to raise their performance level. And sometimes that comes with perks such as more money. Sometimes that comes with perks as, such as more exposure. Uh, but at the end of the day, uh, competition brings the best out of all of us. Uh, at the same time, Ring of Honor has not only survived but thrived because of the, the leadership that we've had that has built a steady progression where – Decisions were made in at a rate that allowed us to grow naturally and expand our audience naturally. And when the right talent became available to, to be able to, to open the checkbook to showcase that great talent. You know, I, I think of the, the group of talent that we got this year, which I think is one of the, the biggest hauls we've ever had for a calendar year, where we acquired PCO, we signed Roosh, uh, PJ Black, Tracy Williams, Mark Haskins, Bandito, David Finley, Juice Robinson, um, all of those, all of those talent became regular ROH talent uh, throughout 2019. And so for me, uh, we've done the right thing in terms of replacing great athletes and great people that have left with the best available from the market. And in some cases, I think that uh, some of the talent like Bandito and Roosh, Mark Haskins. Um, some of the talent are generational and have the potential to, at some point, be as good or even better than the talent that they're replacing. And that's no slight against the, the guys that have left. I, I just think that the potential is there for someone to become a, an absolute superstar out of the talent that we've, we've recently acquired and are showcasing. So with that said, um, you know, some people are calling it a rebuilding phase. I think it's a continuation of Ring of Honor doing the, the right thing and the smart thing of continuing to build incrementally on what we've had. And that strategy allowed us to do G1 Supercard in Madison Square Garden. That strategy allows us to do the big Toronto Summer Showdown um, where New Japan, CMLL, NWA, um, they'll all be there with us too. Um, and that's the kind of strategy and thinking that's allowed us to, to do these, these these cool events and expand our audience. So, you know, it's interesting. Um, 
with the competition, you know, a lot of us, myself included, are extremely happy uh, for the, the folks that have left, and, and we wish them success. Uh, but at the same time, we know the eyes of the wrestling world um, are going to be a little bit more divided, and and we got to work just as hard to to not only keep but expand our share of the pie also. So I think it's brought the best out of a lot of us. You mentioned guys like Matt Taven, who I think is one of the best wrestlers in the world right now. I think he's getting overlooked. I think he's overshadowed. I think Roosh is in that class too, Bandito, Marty Skrull. Um, those are the kind of horses that we need on top of the Jay Lethals, the Jay Briscoes, guys that have been here um, and whose legacies have been defined by Ring of Honor. So I, I'm just, I'm really excited because there's the element of, of taking the risk on the new talent, but uh, at the same time, Ring of Honor, we are, we are building on the course that we've set out and there's a long-term vision and a long-term game plan. Um, do I hope we do more live honor club matches? Absolutely. That's one great way to keep our fans involved. Um, do I hope that some of the recent, recent acquisitions by Sinclair Broadcasting and some of the regional sports networks help us and maybe potentially allow us to broadcast on those? I hope so. Um, and that's somebody who I don't have any involvement in the office, so I don't know. So that's me speculating as a fan. Um, but that might help us get more eyes on the ring of honor. Um, so, you know, there's opportunities that I know that are coming up with a, a better and more succinct partnership with stadium, which is a great channel, uh, sports channel that we are, we already broadcast on. Um, so these are things that these may be little steps in, in the grand scheme of things, but when you add them all together, I think it gives us great potential to grow, especially with some of the, the blue chip talent that we acquired in, in, in 2019. All right. Well, thank you so much uh, for your time, Ian. I really appreciate it. Congratulations on all the success. I look forward to uh, seeing what's next for the company. Uh, I appreciate it, Scott. And actually, um, I don't know, I don't know what's the best way to do this, but um, I did want to. There's there's a part of me, and, and I mentioned it on the thread back to Paro that I wanted to acknowledge, you know, why it's important also in the context of Ring of Honor to to participate in Pride Month. I don't know. I don't know if you have any more time, but it, um, but for me, I, I think there's there's been incidents in, in Ring of Honor's past that have created a, a vacuum where it's important for not only myself but others to make Ring of Honor a place where not only all the fans feel safe, but all the wrestlers feel safe to be who they are um, when they are watching Ring of Honor, and it's a place where there's been growth, there's been personal growth, there's been personal development, and some of those incidents in the past were were great learnings, and it's something that I know a lot of us um, take to heart and, and really think about when we are with Ring of Honor. So this is also giving us an opportunity to reflect on uh, on those on those transgressions and, and to help grow as people and, and to help do our part to expand the, the accessibility of Ring of Honor for everybody. That's great to hear, especially, you know, with everything happening in the last couple of weeks and then you see how Ring of Honor responded. So you see it as a learning, you know, experience for everyone involved and, and then taking the necessary steps to kind of improve as, as time goes on. Definitely. Absolutely. All right. Well, thanks so much for your time. I appreciate it. Oh, you thank you. So you have you have like 500 jobs right now, so <laughs> go back to that. <laughs> oh, I appreciate it. Thank you for your time. No problem. Bye.
Thank you very much, Jimmy, for joining me at the top of the show to talk the news of the day. Thank you to Colby Carino. Thank you to Scott Fishman for going out and getting that great interview with Ian Riccoboni. Ian, you're doing great work. Thank you so much. Uh, if you like the show, you want to support us, go over to the Wrestling Inc. Audio iTunes page. Five-star ratings, comments, always appreciated. I'll be back tomorrow on the Ringside Wrestling app, 2 p.m., with Raj Geary uh, as the latest episode of Winkly TV will be released. Looking at the top five stories of the week. Uh, this episode will also feature Andy Malnoski, our own Andy Malnoski's field interview from WrestleCon 2019 with legendary pro wrestling ring announcer, the most dangerous ring announcer in the world, Gary Michael Capetta. Um, also, of course, this Saturday, uh, I will be at Fighter Fest in Daytona Beach alongside our own Michael Weissman. So be sure to keep track. Uh, be sure to stay tuned to all of our uh, social media and the front page of the site for all of our live coverage, our on-site coverage, and then right after Fighter Fest over on our YouTube channel, we will have our post-show uh, discussion. Of course, that audio from that discussion after the, the live video is wrapped up will then be thrown back on the Wrestling Inc. audio iTunes feed. Lots to get to, and we are just getting going here because tomorrow night, Friday night, Ring of Honor, best in the world, we'll have live coverage right here on the site. Saturday afternoon, you're also going to get to be able to catch uh, the recap coverage of New Japan Pro Wrestling's Australia show from Melbourne. Three big companies, three big shows, one big weekend. We are all over it. Stay tuned to Wrestling Inc. Jimmy, what do you want to plug, promote, put over here before we wrap it up today? Oh, that, man, I follow follow that up. <laughs> uh, I, nothing much to plug up here. If you're up here in Canada and you happen to have uh, Sportsnet 360, you can catch myself, uh, Caroline Schved, Nug Nargang, and the former Santino Morella, Anthony Corelli on Aftermath TV, where we like to refer to ourselves as wrestling's version of the talking dead uh or maybe the wrestling dead is that uh, no okay. that's not a good no let's forget that okay. uh i didn't like that name <laughs> but uh, you can follow me on social media at jimmy corderas on twitter uh at real jimmy corderas on instagram because apparently somebody else took my name and uh yeah and i do uh, uh i do my own thing now i don't know if you've noticed nick i have this thing called my ref and rant i have seen this it's just a daily thing I throw out there, pick a topic, I keep it to a minute and just uh, rant on something that, uh, you know, triggers me that day. What kind of things trigger you, Jimmy? Uh, I don't know. It's, it's a little like, like, I'll give you an example. Today, I, I made a comparison, uh, speaking of which, because since we talked about the whole Paul Heyman and Eric Bischoff stuff, comparing... Vince McMahon to um, a character in the TV show Billions, Bobby Axelrod. Okay. okay. We're, we're in a nutshell, we're basically this guy is a, a big time investment firm, and uh, he's a genius, and he he's the biggest in New York City, and then he wipes out all his competition, so he gets a little complacent, and he kind of relaxes and drops his guard, and all of a sudden one of his uh, underlings kind of tries to take him out but then he gets back in the game and gets ruthless again anyways sounds sounds fascinating i need to watch billions i have no idea what you're talking about but it sounds incredible it's it's actually a pretty good show paul giamatti's in it and damian lewis anyways i've been watching old episodes of wife swap from like 2006 that's my jam right now <laughs> uh, I, I don't even want to tell you what I've been watching, but anyways, um, <laughs> old, old, yeah, old Law and Order episodes. I don't know. Every time I hear that, dun dun, just I love it. Yeah. All right. Well, there you go. Uh, a lot of fun today. I always love talking to you, Jimmy. I always love getting great guests here on the show. Thank you all very much for tuning in, listening along. I am at Wink Rebel over on Twitter, and remember, if you winked, you didn't miss it.